Dr. Bob Liu and his wife Katie and family come to us uh, from 15 years on the mission field in Central China in medical missions. We'll tell you a little more about that. Uh, but we're blessed to have him here. He's currently serving as the head of our Global Outreach Committee. So welcome, uh, Dr. Bob Liu. <laughs> Hey, thanks, Oscar, and thanks, uh, worship team, for that uh, this morning. Well, it's my privilege to end uh, the Mark series that we began last September. The first uh, series, uh, the first message in Mark was called Follow Jesus. And I'd like to end 16 chapters later with uh, Follow the Lord. After three years of Jesus' life, he's revealed himself. To be the Lord. Well, we had a tradition in China when the word was read that the congregation stand up. So let's read chapter uh, 16, starting with verse 9. It's on page 853 on the Pew Bible if you don't have that. And I'll start with verse 9. When Jesus rose up on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These entered and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn <coughs> refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and they will drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Let's pray. Dear Father, we just thank you for revealing yourself to us in a personal way. Through your word, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would apply your word to us, that we would become more like you, that we would be faithful followers of the Lord. In his name we ask. Amen. Please be seated. Well, on Easter Sunday, Dave covered the beginning of Mark 16, which is from the viewpoint of Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Salome, who saw the empty tomb and were confronted by a strange person in white who told them to tell others that Jesus is risen. But you see in verse 8, they were paralyzed by fear and couldn't tell anyone about Jesus' empty tomb, let alone that he was risen. Well, like the movie Groundhog Day, we have a few more replays of this ending. Starting at verse 9, it's the second replay. And maybe 19 is the third one. Verse 8, 
the original ending and seems like on a negative note, unlike the other Gospels, it seems that the early scribes added some other upbeat endings. Well, like to continue ending the series with Follow the Lord, which is an appropriate theme for Mark, which was written for a Roman soldier mindset. Mark skips over the birth and genealogy of Jesus and focuses on his last three years. It starts with John the Baptist baptizing Jesus, starting his public ministry. Jesus gathers his disciples, his followers, then Mark chronicles their adventure with Jesus. Now at the end of Mark, Jesus was killed as a criminal and their adventure is over. His followers are confused. Things have come apart. They're in a daze. It seems like the mission has taken a turn for the worse. They're going through acute stress reaction by losing their leader of the past three years. Who are they going to follow now? Let's look at some reasons for them to continue to follow the Lord. Because he has risen. Resurrection sets Christianity apart from other religions. Our prophet Jesus is not dead. He is not to be found or worshipped in a tomb. He's alive today, sitting at the right hand of God, living to make intercession for us. We follow a risen Lord. Prophets of the other religions are buried in a tomb and have not left that tomb. They are not alive today. Well, how do you know he is risen? Some might say, prove it to me that he lives. How do we prove that someone is living? Well, science can't answer that question, which, re which relies on reproducible things. We can't reproduce someone's life or his resurrection. But we have to go to a court of law. And we have to produce evidence beyond a reasonable doubt that he's alive. Well, we had some memory verses in 1 Corinthians 15 recently that says, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. That was Paul. So Paul recounts eyewitness accounts that we follow a risen Lord. Well, we also follow a patient Lord. In today's message, Jesus made three appearances. His main audience was his closest followers, the, the disciples. However, when they heard about the first two appearances, they did not believe. So he made a third personal appearance, 11, and he scolded them for their unbelief. Why did they not believe that he was risen from the dead? Well, to illustrate my next point, I want you to draw nine dots three by three on a piece of paper from the bulletin. And I want you to connect all nine dots by drawing four continuous lines. I'll give you an example. Here's one line, the second, 
third, fourth. But this is not the right combination because all nine dots, we're leaving one dot that's not connected. So I'll give you a minute. See if you can join all, <clears throat> connect all nine dots by four continuous lines. <laughs> yeah? If just draw it, we'll see what comes together. Maybe you've seen this before. Yeah. Anyone seen this before? Oh, there's one, two, three, four. Did you get that? Four straight lines. Well, they couldn't think out of the box. Maybe they were so accustomed to not believing the testimony of women, or they assumed that dead men don't come back to life, something that we have a hard time believing too. Sometimes we're wired in a way that it's hard to think otherwise. <clears throat> when we lived in China for 15 years, we would often go to Thailand for conferences and vacation. In China, people drive on the right-hand side of the road. In Thailand, they drive on the left-hand side of the road. So getting around Thailand it was a little hairy, especially crossing streets for me. I would try to look both ways, but I would often get an unexpected car that almost ran me over because I wasn't looking in the right combination of crossing the street. And that's how we are, unconsciously wired in a way that it's hard to think otherwise. One reason why I chose this backdrop of the sand and footprints is the poem of footprints. And if you remember, there's two sets of footprints and the person sees one set and starts to question the Lord and says, Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you would walk with me all the way. But I've noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there's only one set of footprints I don't understand why in times when I needed you most, you should leave me. The Lord replied, my precious, precious child, I love you and I would never, never leave you during your times of trial and suffering. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was I that carried you. Now this person was focused on himself that he couldn't think out of his self-centered box. Jesus calls us to be radical and to live outside the box. However, despite the disciples' shortcomings, Jesus was patient with them. He didn't abandon them, but continued to shape them by confronting and rebuking their lack of faith and stubbornness. Jesus didn't give up on them nor leave them. He still stayed with them after his rebuke. He is patient. Haven't we all experienced his, his patience with us? The disciples used to believe Jesus while he was alive, but now that he's dead, they don't believe that he's risen. Jesus had to appear, them, appear to them for them to believe. Let's take a little closer look at their belief. What is belief? In James 9 or 2.19 it says, You believe that God is one, 
you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Well, are these demons saved? What do they believe? The demons believe that God exists, but they don't believe that God is their savior. They don't have a saving faith, like in verse 16 it says. Their faith, the demon's faith, is not based on verse 15, the good news that Jesus saves them. Well, it seems that the disciples' unbelief about the accounts of Jesus' personal resurrection was not critical to their salvation because Jesus was patient to use them, these doubting disciples, to reach the world. The unbelief that is condemned in verse 16 is unbelief in the good news. The disciples still had a belief in the good news. It's more like the father mentioned in Mark 9, 24, who said, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. After Jesus' resurrection, the disciples had a faltering belief, but Jesus was patient. He confronted their unbelief and their failure to think outside the box. He didn't give up on them, but gave them a challenging mission to go into the world and proclaim the gospel, the good news to all creation. So we follow a patient Lord, but also we follow a Lord that is missional. That's where I want to spend most of our time this morning. Jesus is at the end of his earthly ministry, sending his followers on a mission to preach or proclaim the gospel to all creation. The first verse in Mark says, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark starts with Jesus' mission and ends with the missional sending of the disciples into the world. Mark first tells about Jesus' preparation, his baptism and wilderness temptation experience. Then Jesus calls and recruits his band of followers over the next three years who prepares them for the mission of Mark 16. Part of that preparation is character development. I work as a civilian on Fort Hood, and as much emphasis as the Army puts on the mission, I've been impressed with the Army's emphasis on character, too. These are the Army values that hang in one of our meeting rooms that emphasize their character, who I am, being in right relationship with yourself and others. Well, we Westerners are more focused on doing doing the mission. When we meet someone new, we typically ask, what do you do? We're motivated by doing the mission. In the mid-1970s, as a new teenage Christian, I was motivated by the mission of the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. I felt God calling me into medical missions. I prepared for that over the next couple of decades, going to college, medical school, two residencies in the Air Force, in the mid-1990s, my wife, Haiti, and I finally arrived in China with our three kids. It was there that I came to realize that before the Great Commission was the great commandment to love your Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. I learned before doing the mission of reaching the nations is being a lover of God and my neighbor. In order for the mission to be done well, 
I had to have the right character. Up until that point, I was more motivated by the mission. It's a subtle difference of doing missions or being a missionary. Are you doing witnessing or being a witness? In the army context, are you doing the mission or being a soldier? If we focus on character like being a good soldier, being a good witness, being a good missionary, the action naturally follows. If we focus on the action, misguided character traits easily come into play. Yes, Jesus commissions his disciples to preach to the whole world. However, this was at the end of a three-year process of developing them to first love God and their neighbor. The great commandment mentioned in Mark 12. Well, in verses 16, Jesus integrates being and doing in the context of salvation. Jesus says, whoever believes, being statement of inner character, and is baptized, which is a doing statement of outward action, will be saved. During the mid-1800s, there lived one of the greatest tightwire walkers of all time, Blondin, used to thrill crowds by doing amazing acts on a tight wire. One time at Niagara Falls, Blondin asked the crowd, who believes I can walk across this rope? And they said, yes, we believe you're the best. He walked across the rope and came back and asked the crowd, who believes I can push a wheelbarrow on this tight wire? And they said, we believe you're the best. And he pushed a wheelbarrow on a tight wire. And then he came back and asked the crowd, who believes I can push a person in this wheelbarrow across a tight wire? And they said, we believe you can do that. You're the best. And then he asked, who will ride in this wheelbarrow with me? Well, the crowd wasn't as enthusiastic at that point. This is when belief turns to action, being into doing. I couldn't find the picture of a wheelbarrow person, but he carried another person on his back on a tight wire. Maybe you believe, but you have not acted on your belief. One of the first steps of putting your action into belief is to be baptized. This is an outward testimony of what has happened inside you. If you haven't been baptized, I urge you to talk to Dave we have a baptism coming up soon. Now today's passage tells about some of the out-of-box experiences from the resurrection to other amazing events. Verses 17 and 18, Jesus says there will be signs. We are not to seek these signs, but to seek first the kingdom of God. Our minds ought to be set on God's kingdom, not his signs. I've been recently reading, uh, just finished this book, uh, Heavenly Man, this past week, which is about a Chinese house church leader called Brother Yun, who was imprisoned four times for his faith. He miraculously survived being beaten by his guards, his fellow prisoners, electrocution, broken legs, illnesses, 74 days without eating or drinking food and water. In one of the passages, uh, he 
says, many Christians have also asked me why miracles and signs and wonders are so prevalent in China, but not so evident in the West. In the West, you have so much. You have insurance for everything. In a way, you don't need God. When my father was dying of stomach cancer, we sold everything we had to try to cure him. When everything was gone, we had no hope but God. We turned to him in desperation and saw him mercifully answer our prayers and heal my father. We reasoned that if God could do that, then he could do anything. So our faith grew, and we've seen many miracles. In China, the greatest miracles we see are not the healings or other things, but lives being transformed by the gospel. We believe we're not called to follow signs and wonders, but instead the signs and wonders follow us when the gospel is preached. We do not keep our eyes on signs and wonder, wonders. We keep our eyes on Jesus. Every house church pastor in China is ready to lay down his life for the gospel. When we live this way, we'll see God do great things by his grace.